This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It really does feel like an assault. Tonight, a tent city in Surrey is cleared. Why homeless advocates say it's made a bad situation worse. Plus... I'm not sure if it's going to be gridlock, but it's, it's going to be pretty darn close to that. Prepare for the worst. Why a full-scale transit shutdown next week won't just inconvenience transit users. And we certainly didn't expect to be bargaining so long with this current government. With no contract inside, BC teachers rally outside the NDP convention, calling for the party to take action. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at six. Good evening, thanks for joining us. Today was moving day at a homeless camp in Surrey. Tents and belongings removed with 24 hours notice. The city of Surrey says it made the decision out of concern for the camper's safety. Still a bitter experience for some residents who've been quietly living on the site for years. Unlike other homeless camps in Metro Vancouver, this one was partially on privately owned land and that made all the difference. Paul Johnson has our top story. Meet Dan and Mama Kim. Stressed out. Like a lot of people in the Lower Mainland, their housing situation is up in the air and they're on the move. You can't expect somebody to just come and move everything from five years worth of living here. Here is a stretch of undeveloped land next to King George Highway known as Sanctuary City for the 40-odd people who've lived here off and on over the years. Some of it is city land, but a big part is privately owned. And Saturday morning was the deadline to move on. Along with the heavy equipment was a team of city workers clearing out the garbage and in some cases disputed belongings of residents. The eviction was timed with the opening of a new shelter with beds for everyone, but a plan that activists criticize as inadequate. To live in the rain and the rats is not a solution. We need something much more substantial to address the homelessness and housing crisis. Some tell us they're determined to fight and stay on. Like a lot of long-term homeless, each have their own complex list of reasons for not going to a shelter. Robin is worried about how her dog would adjust to the shelter. They're going to tell me to put a muzzle on her, and then she's going to get depressed, and then she just, like, lays there. Some say they might move to a nearby piece of city land. Well, it may seem strange to many, people in Sanctuary City choose the woods over a shelter most of the time. We're going to get a smaller tent and start all over again. Yeah, yeah, sure. smaller <laughs> tent start over again. In Surrey, Paul Johnson, Global News. A man has been charged under the Motor Vehicle Act in connection with a crash that claimed the life of a well-known retired Abbotsford police sergeant. 59-year-old Schinder Kirk was killed last December when the pickup truck he was driving was hit head-on by another pickup on Cedar Road near Highway 1 in South Nanaimo. 23-year-old Conrad Nicholas Wetton is charged with one count of driving without due care and attention and is due in court next month. 
Kirk became the public face of the Lower Mainland Gang War, serving as media spokesperson for Abbotsford Police and the Gang Task Force. Two of his, two of his four passengers were also seriously hurt in the crash. Barrier RCMP are investigating an apparent child abduction attempt. They say a 10-year-old girl was approached by a stranger in the area of Barrier Town Road and Dunn Lake Road at around 3.30 Friday afternoon. The man allegedly grabbed the girl by the wrist, but she managed to fight back and run away. The suspect is described as 40 years old, 5'7", with hazel eyes, brown, ha uh, brown hair, and a full beard. Now, he was wearing a gray, long-sleeved shirt with black letters on it and black pants at the time. RCMP are asking anyone with information about the incident or surveillance or dash cam video from the area to please come forward. And in Surrey... He groped a female employee and kissed her and then left the, the business. Now, police did attend that evening and they were able to locate CCTV images of the individual and we're now in a position where we can release those images to the public in the hope that we can identify this man. Surrey RCMP are asking for your help identifying a man accused of groping an employee at a Guilford business. It happened on September 15th on 152nd Street near 104 Avenue. The suspect is described as South Asian, 50 to 60 years old, with a long beard and an orange turban. Anyone who recognizes him is asked to contact Surrey RCMP. A close call in Burnaby. Have a look at this. A truck went off the road at the 4900 block of East Hastings Friday evening. The vehicle slamming into a power pole, a fence, and then falling several meters to the ground below. BC Ambulance Service confirms the driver was sent to hospital in stable condition. No word on the cause of the crash. More than three weeks into the strike, the union representing Metro Vancouver bus drivers and sea bus workers says it will stage a full-scale work stoppage beginning on Wednesday. As Jill Bennett reports, it's not just transit users who will feel the impact. This is the kind of heavy traffic commuters are used to during the morning and evening rush hours, but it's about to get a lot worse. Trying to drive without transit is going to be shockingly hard. Unless something changes in the labor stalemate between Unifor and Coast Mountain Bus Company, there will be a three-day complete shutdown of bus and sea bus service in Metro Vancouver. That happens this coming Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. The amount of space that transit saves for everyone trying to drive uh, is remarkable. And if all the people who are on a bus and on a sea bus convert to the car with all the extra space that's going to take, all the people who normally drive, are really going to start to appreciate transit in this region. He says the region will be able to weather three days of a bus strike, but the most vulnerable, those who don't have other options, will be the hardest hit. The best thing we can do is to take out those discretionary trips, work from home if you can. At SFU's Burnaby campus, many who depend on transit are now organizing carpools. Third-year student Grayson Lee is taking it a step further, planning to hire a private bus and driver and charge between 3 and $4 a trip. That was the main goal, which was to create an affordable way for students to get on, the, get on and off the mountain, especially because there, there aren't too many students that can be driving up and down the mountain for a continuous amount of time picking students up. Lee is gauging the amount of support from students before deciding if a private bus is feasible. He and many others say they are hopeful a deal can be reached to avoid the shutdown, something the union says is still possible. 
you know, just like every other set of negotiations, it has to come to a head. We did everything humanly possible to avoid this. But it appears neither side is willing to budge on wages. Coast Mountain Bus Company asked for a fourth time this week for mediation. At this point, there are no plans for that to happen. Jill Bennett, Global News. BC teachers have been without a contract since June, an issue they made loud and clear in Victoria today. Hundreds of BCTF members rallied outside the BC NDP convention. As Richard Zussman reports, they're hoping to get support from the delegates inside. Handshakes, high fives and hugs. A triumphant welcome for Premier John Horgan at the NDP's convention inside Victoria's convention centre. Outside, the message a lot different. We're really hoping to raise awareness about the needs of BC education. It's underfunded to the tune of $1,800 per student. The BC Teachers Federation wants NDP delegates and supporters to hear they are frustrated about the ongoing negotiations around a new deal with teachers. The red t-shirts, a stark contrast for an organization known to support the orange-clad NDP. So we're here to have thoughtful conversations, not here to disrupt anything at all. We're just really interested in having those face-to-face -face conversations because it seems like there's still a gap in knowledge in terms of what we're facing at the bargaining table. The BCTF was formally in Victoria for the Representative Assembly. The members frustrated over teacher wages. They say they have prevented the province from hiring hundreds of open positions and left unqualified people in classrooms. They're secretaries, they're nail technicians, they're parents, they're just people that are standing in front of kids, monitoring kids. Premier Horgan quick to point out an NDP convention is no place to negotiate a new teacher's deal, but acknowledging it's been a struggle considering teachers have been without a long-term deal since the end of June. What we have is a dispute between parties in a collective, a collective bargaining negotiation. It's not a dispute about values. It's not a dispute about our passion, our equal passion for education. There's some hope between the sides a deal can be struck, with the province and the TF set to head back to the negotiating table in December. A test to see whether these old friends can once again show they're on the same team. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Oh, some frightening moments for a deer at Sun Peaks Resort in Kamloops yesterday. The animal's antlers were stuck in the netting at the side of a ski run. Fortunately, the ski patrol was able to give conservation officers a snowmobile ride to the scene. The deer was safely tranquilized and the netting removed. The animal was able to walk away unharmed. The public is encouraged to call the rap line if they see an entangled deer. Poor thing. A group of black activists has filed a human rights complaint against the Vancouver School Board. It stems from concerns over how the board dealt with a white student who posted a video laced with racial slurs and threats targeting black students. As Nadia Stewart reports, the anti-racism group says the VSB isn't doing enough to stop black to keep black students from feeling safe. It's already been a year now since the incident, and we really haven't seen anything concrete from the Vancouver School Board. Marie Tate and the BC Community Alliance say the Vancouver School Board is not listening to students, ignoring their concerns about anti-black racism. They don't have an anti-racism policy. They used to. Now it's just regulations or procedures, which is left up to interpretation. It seems to me that they're dealing with their own best interests and not those of the students. 
uh, it's causing a real problem. It's the reason why Tate says the Alliance has filed a complaint with the B.C. Human Rights Tribunal. They say the board is not doing enough to address anti-black racism in schools. I hate their concerns stem from this video of a white teen spewing racial that. slurs and making threats targeting black students at Lord Bing Secondary School. Instead of being uh, listened to, we, um, my daughter left the school. At the time, parents said the board was not listening to them or the students. It's why both of these moms pulled their kids out of Lord Bing. What if a black boy had made a video threatening to kill all blonde, blue-eyed blondes like me? Would he be coming back? Tate says since these parents and the alliance began questioning the board publicly, they faced criticism and victim blaming. Some people were saying, oh, it's just a silly mistake and, you know, you're making too much out of this, which of course we hear a lot. But Tate says the board still has yet to make good on its promise to establish an anti-racism committee. No one from the Vancouver School Board responded to our request for an interview. The alliance is hopeful the human rights complaint will spur some much-needed action. If schools are supposed to be safe and caring, they need to get on it and be safe and caring. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Parents and staff at a Langley Elementary School held their annual Christmas fair today, but this year was different. They're giving the gift of hope to a family of one of their young students. And as Kristen Robinson reports, the 12-year-old boy is still recovering from a hit and run two months ago. Langley's Peterson Road Elementary School giving new meaning to the holiday spirit. Our parking lot has been packed all day. This is the best Christmas craft fair that we've had to date. This is fantastic. In its third year, parents and staff donating all proceeds to one of their own. Grade 7 student Jesse Brown. It's on a slow road to recovery. It's going to be uh, you know, months and months before uh, we see a whole lot of change. It takes time. The 12-year-old, who doesn't like having his photo taken, struck by an alleged drunk hit-and-run driver while walking home from school in September. Police seized a dark blue Nissan Pathfinder nearby, arresting a 29-year-old woman and 19-year-old man. RCMP suspect both may have been driving. The SUV believed to have covered a large area of Metro Vancouver before being involved in two hit-and-runs. An 18-year-old clipped near Langley Secondary prior to Jesse Brown being hit. We're really hoping that, uh, that he'll recover really well and uh, be able to walk again. Jesse recovering from a broken jaw, broken facial and backbones, and a broken arm. And he's just received so many cards and just well wishes, and he just loves seeing all the different things. He was very shocked. The turnout has been quite spectacular. It's, it's not a traditional small fair. The school's donation will help the family retrofit their house and car for Jesse's return home in the coming months. Everyone's still remembering that he's going through this tough journey, but not alone. Kristen Robinson, Global News. An annual stem cell and blood drive in Surrey today was inspired by a little girl who died before she could find a life-saving match. I am here to donate blood. Very painless, very easy, very simple and very rewarding. The Muscan Foundation was named in honor of eight-year-old Muscan Gill, who died because a stem cell match could not be found. The nonprofit is committed to saving lives by hosting a double drive for blood and stem cells. If one person donates, they can save up to three lives. But donors can also help treat chronic health illnesses, including leukemia and other blood cancers.
Uh, so right now, sadly, if a South Asian child uh, is diagnosed with a critical uh, or chronic illness, uh, such as leukemia or blood cancer, and they go to the hospital, it's very tough for them to find matches. So that what this allows is allows stem cells to be the treatment for those kind of illnesses if they find that match, and we're trying to basically increase odds of that. Very happy about this, all this foundation happening, and how people are being, how people are being, other people like my sister, that are being diagnosed and having a second chance of life. Dozens of volunteers are at the Canada Line this weekend collecting donations to help Metro Vancouver's most vulnerable. Blanket BC is hosting its 11th annual Drive on the Line campaign. It's happening at eight stations from Lansdowne in Richmond to Waterfront in Vancouver. The nonprofit is gathering blankets, toques, gloves, and other cozy clothing for those who can use the warmth the most. They'll be distributing the donations tomorrow to shelter programs, families in need, and other agencies that serve the homeless. I'm pleading to uh, governments to work even faster and harder and smarter to get people off the street and give them the help they need. Because um, I don't want to be doing this anymore. Um, but I have a feeling I'll be here for another 11 years, another 14 years, and we're going to just continue on and on and on because it's just the way our society is. Federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and Premier John Horgan took center stage at the B.C. NDP convention today. Keith Baldry joins us live from Victoria with more on that. Keith, they're talking about working together to get things done. That sounds positive. It's positive, but also is another example of the weird dichotomy that exists now with the NDP in power here in British Columbia and very much outside of power in Ottawa. And I want to play a couple of clips for you that sort of illustrate, uh, even though Jagmeet Singh and John Horgan really like each other and support each other, uh, the political reality is Horgan really doesn't need Jagmeet Singh so much as he needs Justin Trudeau uh, because he needs things from that federal government. So uh, I'm going to play a little clip of Jagmeet Singh praising John Horgan, but John Horgan talking to reporters and really praising Christian Freeland, the new infrastructure minister, uh, really going out of his way to heap praise on the government that Jagmeet Singh not only opposes, but now finds himself stuck in a minority situation with. Here's the two leaders coming from different directions on this. The theme of this convention, the idea of putting people first, if you spend even a minute, a couple seconds with Premier Horgan, you can tell that in his core being, that that is what he's all about, putting people first. I'm very comfortable with her. I believe she's the right tonic for the times. And I committed to her, and as I did the Prime Minister, uh, that I'm ready to work with them to build a stronger Canada and a stronger federation. And I think we're in a good place. It doesn't matter what color the, the jersey is, red, blue, uh, orange. We need to all put aside those issues and talk about what's in the best interest of Canada. Okay, Keith, uh, did the transit strike come up during today's convention? <coughs> Not officially, nothing on the floor, but I can tell you it was the talk of the convention. A lot of delegates I talked to, of course, there's a lot of labor people at NDP conventions. Everybody was talking about the BCTF, of course, but also the looming transit dispute. Not a lot of optimism being expressed, I have to tell you, Colleen. A lot of people think this is basically Unifor on the edge of a cliff and no way off of that. So the expectation is this thing's going to go ahead. But a number of labor officials who have a lot of experience in strikes say the next 24 hours is critical. Uh, the two sides have to get back to the table if there's any chance for a deal and right now it doesn't look uh, like they're about to do that all right thanks for that keith all right 
Conservative leader Andrew Scheer has fired his top two aides following his party's loss in the October election. This morning, Scheer announced the dismissal of Chief of Staff Marcel-André Leclerc and Communications Director Brock Harrison. Scheer didn't give any reasons as to why they were dismissed. He made the staff changes ahead of an upcoming Parliament session in December. U.S. Vice President Mike Pence made a surprise visit to Iraq today. Pence stopped by to reassure U.S. allies in the fight against the so-called Islamic State. The vice president's wife also tagged along, helping U.S. troops celebrate an early Thanksgiving. Protests escalated in Colombia after mass marches ended in three deaths. Crowds dispersed as police fired tear gas, sending protesters running up narrow streets. More than 250,000 people showed their anger towards what they say is a lack of government action to stop corruption and the murder of human rights activists. Three people were killed during the marches on Thursday. Hundreds of people paddled out into the waters off Sydney today to protest oil drilling plans by a Norwegian energy company. The oil company says it plans to start drilling exploration wells off the South Australian coast late next year. This demonstration, just one of 50 paddle outs across Australia today, as part of a national day of action. More fallout tonight for Prince Andrew as more high-profile organizations sever ties with the royal. After a disastrous TV interview about his friendship with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, the prince stepped away from his duties. And now we're learning who may have prompted the move. Typically, if you're born in the royal family, Buckingham Palace should feel a bit like a second home. But for Andrew, the son of the queen often referred to as the party prince, the past week has now left his royal status on a slippery slope. Fallout continues to grow by the day. And now sponsors and causes are leaving the prince's side. We know the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra and the National Ballet says that effective immediately, the prince is no longer a patron. On top of that, one of the prince's causes, an entrepreneurship initiative, is no longer backed by Barclays Bank, who released a statement saying that in light of the situation, they can no longer take part in this cause. Now, all this is the prince is under intense scrutiny following that botched interview involving his connection to Jeffrey Epstein and alleged sexual encounters with women. In the meantime, Prince Charles returning to England and royal insiders say that it was he who advised Queen Elizabeth before she made the final decision to allow Andrew to withdraw from those royal duties, meaning that Charles is now playing an even more pivotal role in the fate of his little brother. Morgan Chesky, NBC News, London. In Health Matters tonight, Canadians are being urged to avoid eating or serving romaine lettuce from Salinas, California, due to another food poisoning outbreak. The warning applies to all types of romaine from the Salinas region, including whole heads, hearts, and pre-cut salad mixes. It comes almost exactly one year after a similar outbreak led to a blanket warning about romaine. Although an outbreak is not occurring in Canada, health officials say one illness with a similar genetic footprint to those reported in the U.S. has been identified. And Bondiol brand salads are being recalled due to a possible E. coli contamination. The products were sold in Ontario, Quebec, New Brunswick and possibly other provinces and territories across Canada. So far, there have been no reports of illness. People are asked to throw the salads out or return them to the stores where they were purchased. 
Painful, stressful, and expensive. That's what insulin injections are for the many diabetics who use them to manage their disease. But as Global's Quinn Campbell explains, a team at the University of Lethbridge has developed what could be a game changer with no needles required. Diabetes is a massive global issue, affecting nearly 9% of the world population and growing. That's what prompted a team of research students at the University of Lethbridge to try and make a difference. The team competing at the International Genetically Engineered Machines, known as iGEM competition in the States. They took home gold for developing the world's first known oral insulin. Insulin being a protein, um, it becomes broken down by acid very easily, and your stomach acid is very acidic, obviously. <laughs> um, so uh, what we kind of thought was that algae would act as an envelope uh, to kind of deliver that. It took a few tries, but the team was able to find the right combination. And the outcome? Algulin, an oral way to get insulin into the bloodstream. We did this in microalgae, so conventionally it's done in E. coli, but we wanted to create an oral form. And so we went about it this way um, in order to um, lower manufacturing costs and hopefully produce an alternative that could be available on the market. Currently, the most common method of managing diabetes is through insulin injections, which can be costly and painful. Some patients must self-administer the drug up to six times per day. With a high demand, the team will now try find investors to get the concept to market. Quinn Campbell, Global News. Motorhome stalled on the railroad tracks there. We're going to show you what happens when the train comes along Right there. Yeah, we'll have that right after Yvonne's forecast. Um, yeah, dark, rainy, kind of like the weather we're having right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a, uh, an unsettled start to our weekend, but we do have a few improvements, and it's the long-range calling. Stay tuned. Okay. We've got some sunshine and drier conditions. So we do need to get through some rainfall this evening. It'll be heavy at times, depending on where you are across Metro Vancouver, but it really does start to intensify and then ease up overnight. An easterly wind out of the airport at 19 kilometers per hour high today was at eight so we're right where we should be a record on the almanac a bomb we won 14 degrees set back in 1939 a few other numbers across the province with revelstoke getting up to two the peace today was six degrees and double digits for tofino topping out at 11 now we are going to see that moisture move in across metro vancouver the heaviest rainfall will be for tonight and then overnight it should really start to taper off we'll have a much drier start to our sunday and if you're traveling into the interior we do have a snowfall warning that is in effect in the following spots we'll be seeing a significant amount of snow it'll be for higher elevations a first look at tomorrow morning it's dry for metro vancouver but one blip in the forecast we have some instability tomorrow afternoon more cloud cover and even a chance of showers it should really start to taper off and clear out as you approach the evening and that'll be the plan rainfall amounts uh, up to 15 millimeters for a few areas uh, for this evening by tomorrow morning it dries out and here's the snowfall that we are tracking a significant amount along the Rogers Pass, 20 and potentially up to 25 centimeters. Pine Pass for Highway 97, 5 and up to 15. And the Kootenai Pass, 5 and up to 10 centimeters. Heaviest snowfall tonight. And then much drier and tapering off by Sunday morning with just a chance of flurries. So tomorrow morning, uh, some breaks in the cloud cover, more cloud cover by the afternoon with a chance of showers. And tomorrow evening, down to 6 degrees, but it'll be much drier if you do have plans for tomorrow. The piece tomorrow, 4 
more with a westerly wind, up to 30 kilometers per hour. Chance of flurries popping up on Tuesday. White horse chilly overnight, wind chill closer to minus 10. Gusty winds tomorrow up to 50 kilometers per hour, but a clearing is on the way by the afternoon. Coastal sections, two more wet days, rain on and off on Tuesday. Sunshine dry and a high four. Most areas near the Caribou and Central Interior remaining dry, but there is a fair bit of cloud cover through the day and a southwesterly wind at 20. Columbia and Kootenai, a few flurries for the morning, dry by the afternoon and a high four. Tops in Okanagan will bump up to six degrees, a partly cloudy sky. It's pleasant over the next few days, but it does really start to cool off Tuesday onwards with temperatures below the freezing mark as are highs. Whistler will bump up to five, a few on and off showers popping up for the afternoon and along the island. Northern and western areas will still see cloud cover, a chance of showers for the day tomorrow. Highs into the double digits for the southern and eastern half of the island. We will have a nice dry, sunny start to the morning. It's by the afternoon. More cloud cover, a chance of showers. By tomorrow night, by tomorrow night rather, it'll be dry. And Colleen, Monday onwards, fantastic, sunny and dry. Keep in mind, though, it'll be quite chilly, especially for our Ooh. overnight lows. Temperatures will be close to or hovering the freezing mark, so we'll need to bundle up tomorrow. Still another mild one. Back M- to you. Minus five on Thursday morning. Woo. Okay. Yeah, that is parka weather. Yes, thanks so much, Yvonne. Okay, if these folks were on vacation, it is certainly not what they had planned. A passenger train hit a motorhome stopped on railroad tracks in Southern California early this morning. And we want to mention, no one was injured. Have a look at this. Witnesses told police that the motorhome apparently stalled on the tracks at a gated crossing in Santa Fe Springs. You can see people running to and from the motorhome just moments before a Metrolink train slams into it, causing the home to burst into flames. No injuries were reported, but passengers on board the train were certainly alarmed. A spokesman said the engineer did try to stop the train before hitting the motorhome. Firefighters extinguished the flames, which destroyed the motorhome and damaged the front end of the train. Holy smoke. That's that's everyone's nightmare, right? To get stalled on the tracks. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. They could get out. And you go, should I get out? Should I try to start uh, it? It's like a bad movie. It, it yeah. is. Or a TV show. You're thinking, I can save it if I, get, if I turn it. <laughs> yes. If I can turn the engine over. Get out. Just get out. Mm. Yeah. Or just trying to avoid railroad tracks at all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you hear that train coming. Don't cross those tracks. <laughs> um, what, what? Okay. I, I caught the, uh, the noon show today. We were talking about tennis. A oh, big story man. on tennis. So what a year it's been for a Canadian wow. tennis. You know, Bianco wins the uh, U.S. Open. Now the men have cranked it up. They're into the finals of the Davis Cup. First time that's ever happened. New format this year where they have all 18, top 18 countries, all in Spain for one week before it used to be where you'd visit and play longer matches. So the format's been good for Canada, but they've played great. So we'll have highlights of that. And, oh, yeah, the Canucks just happened to beat the top team in the NHL today. So oh, yeah. Pretty good day. Always nice to have some good news about the Canucks. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people were wondering, you know, which is the real Canucks, the October Canucks that right? kind of dominated or the team that struggled. You know, long seasons, you're going to have the dips, but the key is keep them short and then get back on the horse. And the Canucks, I think they've answered a few doubters over the last little while. Thanks, Colleen. Uh, the Canucks uh, have turned what could have been a disastrous road trip into a very nice response to their first real slump of the season. After getting outclassed 6-1 in Dallas Tuesday, it sure looked like the Canucks were headed off the rails, especially with five more tough games coming up on the road trip. But since then, they won 6-3 in Nashville and today put together one of their best all-around efforts of the season in Washington, beating the NHL-leading Capitals. 
2-1 in a shootout. Elias Pettersson starting the day tied for 10th in NHL scoring. 28 points in 23 games, but not a good start. Canucks give up the first goal again, just 2.22 in. Caps win the puck battle down low, and Jacob Verana with the quick one-timer. Tough period for Alex Edler. Gets stapled hard here by Alex Ovechkin. Edler didn't finish the opening period. The skate comes up, and blade first into the midsection. He was cut. He left the ice following the play, did not return. Canucks did not update his condition after the game. Canucks tied on a five-on-three. JT Miller tees it up for Pedersen, who rockets one under the bar. You do not have to be built like Ovechkin to shoot the puck like this, and Pedersen can fire with the best of them. What a rocket. 1-1. Canucks NHL leading 27th power play goal. Early second. Caps almost grabbed the lead. Verana partial breakaway. Markstrom gets most of it. Puck dribbles through, and it's Tyler Myers using that big wingspan to rescue that one off the goal line to keep it 1-1. Close call, third period. Canucks late had some chances to get the go-ahead goal. Tanner Pearson, Brock Besser, Quinn Hughes all with opportunity. Braden Holton's, uh, Holtby rather, some by, uh, somehow keeps it out. 1-1 after regulation. We need a shootout. Lars Eller coming in in the fifth round. Appears to beat Markstrom. Hits the post and... Didn't go in, hit the crossbar, slides across. They reviewed it, and no, that is not a goal. Markstrom, brilliant again today. Seven saves in the shootout, 32 during the uh, regulation time and overtime. Went seven rounds deep. The captain, Bo Horvat, check out this move. Snakes in and then snaps it past Holtby for the game winner. Canucks improved to 2-1 and one on this six-game road trip after the 2-1 win over the Capitals. They are in Philadelphia on Monday. What a breakthrough year it's been for Canadian tennis. First, Bianca Andreescu wins the U.S. Open, and now our men have made history, qualifying for the Davis Cup final for the first time ever. Vashik Pospisil and Denis Shapovalov literally have carried the team on their backs. Vashik has been incredible, although today maybe fatigue caught up to him as he lost his first singles match in four attempts to Andrei Rublev of Russia. But Canada rallied, vaulting them into the Davis Cup finals tomorrow. Felix Auger-Aliassime ranked 21st in the world. Can't get off the bench. That's how great Pospisil has been this week. Shapovalov had to beat... Karen Kachanov in the second singles match to get Canada into the uh, doubles match so they could make it to the finals. And Shapovalov, battling hard, gets the break here in the third set to go up 4-3. Two top 20-ranked players going head-to-head. Shapovalov has really cranked his game up the past couple of months. Fights off three break points in the eighth game. Unloads the one of his 11 aces in the match. And then on match point, Another big bomb first serve. The return is long, and Shapovalov keeping Canada alive. Tough three-set win. Took about a half-hour break, and then he came out with Pospisil for the deciding doubles match. And these two have just been getting better and better with each match in doubles, developing the communication and chemistry you need. Another well-played tight match. They split the first two sets, third and deciding set, nodded at three. Shapovalov with the smash at the net for the winner. Canada holding serve. Shapovalov showing his touch at net here with the nice angle volley. So still on serve. Canada up 4-3. It went to a tie break. Canada fell behind 3-0, but they battled back. Shapovalov, big serve. Pospisil with the return right at the feet of Rubalev. And then on match point, Vashik serving. The return is long, and the celebration is on. Canada playing the big points with steely nerve yet again. 
Another epic moment for Canadian tennis in 2019 as they take down Russia. Here is match point right here. They advance to their first ever Davis Cup finals and they will take on Rafa Nadal and Spain in that final tomorrow starting at 7.30 a.m. our time. What a week it has been for Canadian tennis. Welcome back. Well, the heat is certainly on in Calgary, where the Flames had dropped six in a row entering their game this afternoon in Philadelphia. Flames have not only been losing, but losing badly. Outscored 23-5 during the losing streak. Coach Bill Peters definitely on the hot seat. Big expectations in Calgary to get back to the playoffs and do some damage, but currently they are under 500. Peters knows the wins better start coming or he could be going. Late third, down 2-1. Goalie on the bench and it pays off. Point shot wide, but it caroms right to Elias Lindholm who fires it in. Huge goal for the Flames, ties it at two. Went to a shootout, Matthew Kachuk. Comes in and a slick move to uh, slide at five hole on Carter Hart. Advantage Flames, Sean Couturier needs to score, but David Riddick stops him with the glove. And the Flames stopped their six-game losing streak, 3-2 over the Flyers. Leafs and Avalanche, Sheldon Keith going for his second straight win since taking over for the fired Mike Babcock. Tied at one in the first, Austin Matthews with his team leading 16th. One of the best wristers in hockey from Austin Matthews. 2-1 Toronto and then former Avalanche defenseman Tyson Berry will score shorthanded. Another great shot. Leafs led 4-1 after one, but it's tightened up since then. Abs have cut it to 4-3 in the third. We'll also show you the Blue Jackets and the Jets from Winnipeg. Second period, tied at one. Nice give and go here. Nick Ehlers and Blake Wheeler. Ehlers with the finish, 2-1. Jets have the lead. Jackets got a couple of quick power play goals to regain the lead, but then the Jets tie it again. Matthew Perot with the quick release, 3-3 at that point. And that's where they stand right now, 3-3 in the third. Raptors back in action tonight in Atlanta, taking on the Hawks first quarter. Former Raptor Vince Carter, now 42 years old in his 22nd NBA season, can still play, hits the three-pointer. Montreal's Chris Boucher continues to play well with Serge Ibaka out of the lineup. Basket and the foul for the lanky Boucher, who can score and rebound in this league. Hawks led 61-52 at the half. Third quarter, Raptors come alive. Big run late in the quarter. Norm Powell running the floor, lays it in, and one. Raptors have the lead. And then in the fourth, Freddie Van Vliet with the drive doesn't go, but there's Chris Boucher with the putback. 13 points off the bench for the Canadian. Right now, 104-100 Raptors late in the fourth. English Premiership, first place Liverpool at Crystal Palace. No scoring until the 49th. Sadio Mane with an odd one. Bounces it post to post and just crosses the line. 1-0 Liverpool. Palace equalized late, but just three minutes later on the 85th, Roberto Firmino gives the Reds another win. Absolute mayhem in the box after the corner kick. 2-1 final. Liverpool now 12 wins, one draw through 13 matches, 37 points. Meanwhile, second place Leicester City at Brighton and Hove Albion. Leicester City, or Leicester City known for its tremendous pace of play. On the break, Jamie Vardy flying down the left side. Finds uh, Ezio Perez, who chips it in. Vardy would later add one from the penalty spot. Foxes win again. 2-0 remains second behind Liverpool, but eight points back. Manchester City and Chelsea. Man City began the day a point behind uh, third place Chelsea, but after falling behind early, City would equalize Kevin De Bruyne with a little help 
on the deflection off the Chelsea defender. Ties it 1-1 and then eight minutes later, Riyad Mahrez with the game winner. This is nice work here. Cuts inside and then finds the far corner with the left foot. Man City jumped past Chelsea in the third with the 2-1 win. Also today, Jose Mourinho won his debut with Spurs 3-2 over West Ham. LPGA Tour Championship from See Naples, Florida. Final event of the LPGA season. Brooke Henderson looking one. to win that $1.5 million first prize this week. Didn't have a great third round. This was the highlight, a 40-footer for birdie on 12. But she bogeyed three of the par fives today, which is rare for her. Usually she birdies those in her sleep. She's at 10 under, tied fifth. South Korea's Se-young Kim is the leader at 16 under. One shot up on American Nelly Korda. Final round tomorrow. PGA Tour in beautiful Sea Island, Georgia for the RSM Classic final full field tournament before the holiday break on the PGA Tour. Brendan Todd, the leader right now, tee shot on the par three to about nine feet and he will step up and make that for birdie. Todd at 18 under has a two shot lead. Tough day though for Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford, four over 74, worst of any player on the day. He is dead last in 76, warming up for the President's Cup. And High school football, triple-A uh, semifinals going on. Lord Tweedsmer leads Notre Dame 7-0 in the third. Later, it's St. Thomas Moore and Van College. We'll have highlights of that tonight at 11. And, of course, Grey Cup tomorrow at 3.30. Wow, right. And the right. Seahawks also in Philadelphia for a big one. So big football day tomorrow. Big football mm -hmm. day. All right, thanks so much, Barry. Here's a look at your snow report. Whistler Blackcomb opening November 28th. Grouse, Cypress, and Sasquatch to be determined. Revelstoke and Fernie both opening November 30th, Kicking Horse December 6th. Big White and Silver Star both opening November 28th, Sun Peaks with a base of 65 and 1 new centimeter of snow, Apex opening December 7th. Whitewater opening December 6th, Red Mountain December 12th, Powder King 3 new centimeters and a base of 130. The class of 2019 is being officially inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame at a gala in Toronto tonight. This year's outstanding group of inductees includes former NHL star Marc Messier. I love Marc Messier. Olympic speed skating legend Cindy Clausen, comedic actor Will Arnett, known for his roles in Arrested Development and 30 Rock, and the late great Ernie Coombs, better known as Mr. Dress Up, the treasured host, entertained children for nearly three decades. Also inducted tonight, uh, genius architect Frank Gehry, the band Triumph, and posthumously the founder of basketball, Dr. James right. Smith. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty good lineup, I mm -hmm. would say. You know, Impressive class. Story. Story. Mr. Dressup, Ernie Coombs. Yeah. I had a beer with that guy. Back in We're Alberta. Very jealous. About early 90s. And uh, he, was a, he was a hit in the pub. Like everyone came up to him. Sweet guy, but he uh, he had a couple. I love Finnegan, that. not as much. Finnegan kind of stayed in the background <laughs> like he always has. Casey was Dressup, tied up up back. Casey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 yeah, I think Casey was back at the hotel. But anyway, okay. Mr. Oh, Dressup definitely so had a couple awesome. of beers. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Was great. I love stories like that. Congratulations <laughs> to everybody. It's going to get cold. It's going to get cold into next week and a chance of showers for tomorrow afternoon. All right. Thanks for joining us. Jordan will be here at 11.